Lord, we love you. Would you release the spirit of wisdom and revelation now upon your word? Lord, I'm asking that you would give us insight into mysteries. You'd unlock revelation, God, books that have been sealed for ages. Do you unlock them to us, God? Would you release the spirit of wisdom and revelation even now? Lord, would you instruct Holy Spirit? Would you instruct us in urgency in our hearts? God, teach us about the day of the Lord and what that is. Instruct us that we would be alert and awake in this most serious of hours, this most urgent of hours. Instruct us that we'd be awake, not asleep. Lord, how we love you. How we love you. We love what you do. We love your ways. We love what you do. We love the way you lead. You're wonderful, Jesus. Good. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. You know, um, I was just sitting there thinking, it's just so rare. You know, we've been in a series on um, spiritual mourning the last four weeks. And uh, so I come in tonight to the worship, and Monica's singing, I want to dance, 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 dance. And the whole room looks like an aerobics class, you know. And I'm just thinking... How, do you, how does that happen? Like, how do you preach four weeks on morning? You come in the next week, and everybody's dancing. It's the Lord who, he, he's without contradiction. He grants the gift of morning and gives rejoicing at the same time. And I've never been in an environment, maybe this is the year that I was in Kansas City, where you can actually, um, you can actually watch the, the, I don't know how you would say it, sort of the, the vibe of the house, but the, what's being proclaimed because of the night and day prayer feature, what's being proclaimed tends to go right into the heart. It just goes right in. And uh, I mean, I've just watched, I've watched spiritual mourning become a value in the heart of many, many in our community in just the last month. And uh, it's, just, it's just the word of the Lord. It's, it's alive it goes and it produces that for which God sends it. And so we live in an environment because of, I believe, the night and day prayer feature. It just supercharges an atmosphere. It makes us all susceptible. We're all in danger of being changed by the word. We're in danger of the sword coming and piercing us. I like it that way, though. I would really rather not come and hear messages and think that was a really good message and not know what it was, but, you know, what the guy even said until the, you know, by the time I ate dinner that night. I want it to, I want it to be bothering some. I want it to bother me. I want to say things that bother me, you know, and when, when others get up and speak, I want to walk out of here going, that's, that's working on me. That's doing something to me. I can't, I can't just act like that didn't happen. Something was proclaimed, and I'm convinced that living in this atmosphere, night and day prayer, it, it creates, I don't know how it works exactly, but it creates a susceptibility in our hearts. The, the word is always sharp. We're, we're, you know, given to dullness, but the night and day prayer is the X factor for us, and when the word goes forth, it pierces, and all of a sudden, you just can't do the way you did before. You just can't live that way, and I, my s- desire is that the, um, what I'm going to go into now and, and over the next several weeks, I don't know how many weeks we're going to do this, but that there would be a deposit upon us as it relates to urgency for the time in which we live. 
And uh, we've never done a full series on Sunday night on eschatology, yet it is one of our uh, pillars that we, um, that we understand is essential uh, for what we're doing. We must have a clarity and understanding the end times. That's all eschatology is. It's a big word that means the study of the, the end things. And, and it is a pillar for us. It's, it's one of our five main messages and we thread it through so many things, but I've never done a, a series on it on a Sunday on Sunday nights. Now we've got classes on eschatology every single time we have a school of ministry semester. We always have a class on eschatology, um, but I've never done a, a, a series on it on a Sunday night. And we want to we want to actually. Uh, I feel like in some ways we're coming out of the closet a little bit because I don't know of um, I don't know of a group around our, our, in our city that proclaims anything like what we're going to proclaim about eschatology in the end of the age. And so we're going we're gonna to thunder some things forth. And I felt so, uh, oh, I don't know, challenged, encouraged, and fearful off of that worship set. It was just, that was a fearsome worship set. And the things you guys were singing about the day of the Lord was just stunning. And from my vantage point, it was scary. And uh, so I want to share some stuff. So we're going to start a um, series on the day of the Lord. And um, yeah, that's what we're going to do. You're in Isaiah 6. Go over to Joel 2. There's turmoil in me as it relates to the, uh, the place that the body of Christ is uh, and our understanding of the end times. There's turmoil in my heart about it. I, I would say this. I'll tell you my little journey. Um, up till about four years ago, I, was, I would jokingly say that I was, you know, somebody would say, are you pre-trib or are you mid-trib or are you post-trib? I'd say, I'm pan. It's all going to pan out sometime, and that's what I am. And, uh, you know, I looked at some other vantage points. I looked at, uh, you know, post-millennial theology and post-millennial eschatology and just different thoughts and, and had studied uh, uh, just a little bit, just not, not even studied, scratched the surface on a few things. And I thought, oh, this is too confusing. I'll leave it for the scholars. And, uh, you know, my eschatology is that there's a great revival coming. And, and I'll just leave it there. And however, whatever the rest is, it'll just work itself out. And I remember vividly, I was in a time of prayer, and, and the Lord spoke to my heart real clearly. He said, it is irresponsible for you to stand in front of people that you lead and tell them it will all pan out. It is irresponsible for you to stand in front of people that you lead and tell them it will all pan out without giving any clarity to it. And I'm, I am gripped with this, that, you know, many of the places where I've um, spoken and, and just different crowds I've been in, and, it, you know, we've got book series and movie series now, but there's a, there's a cry that's going out, and people understand the bridegroom is coming. And so when, when you go into a group of, of uh, you know, Christians, generally, you'll say, if you say this question, if you go, how many of you believe that the return of the Lord is near, that, you know, it could be as near as your lifetime? Uh, I've done it in large places and small places, and generally when I do that, I get about a 70% response, hands go up. 
70% generally, just, just at a, you know, looking at it, they go, yeah, I believe that, that it's near, it could be in my lifetime, could be in my lifetime. And yet we almost have no understanding of what the scriptures actually say about what the return of the Lord even looks like. We know what the theology is from the movie. Right? We know what the headlines are. But we have almost no understanding of the prophetic scriptures that unpack mysteries right in front of us. There's over 100 chapters. It's close to 150 chapters in the Bible about the end times and about the age to come. That's more than all four Gospels. And yet we walk around almost completely uninstructed as it relates to end times uh, understanding. And uh, when the Lord spoke to me uh, that and said, that's irresponsible of you, I, I mean, and it wasn't even a question mark. I go, that is, you're absolutely right. If I believe that's coming in my lifetime, that you're, a, yes, sir. And I, about, uh, around four years ago, I began to study uh, with fasting and prayer and just looking into what does the Bible say about the return of the Lord Jesus? What's the Bible say about uh, the tribulation or the you know, so-called tribulation or the great tribulation period or the, the Antichrist or you know, what does the return of the Lord Jesus look like? What about the rapture? You know, what about that? And um, you know, many have a theology, an eschatology. They believe that there, there's a rapture event that's going to take place prior to quote-unquote anything going wrong or anything getting bad. And, um, and so therefore they sort of have this escapist mentality as it relates to judgment events in the earth and they just don't concern themselves with it because they figure I'm going to be out of here. And uh, I would just say, well, uh, what about the church in China? Are they going to be quote unquote out of here before anything bad happens to them? I mean, hundreds, of, uh, you know, thousands and thousands of martyrs later. You know, that doesn't really work. And I would say this, unless the truth works globally, it's probably not the truth. And so uh, I'm, just, I'm just touched. I'm personally on a quest for revelation as it relates to the end times. I do not want to be uninformed. Daniel eleven thirty three and 34 talks about those at the end who will have understanding and they will instruct many. They will have understanding and they will instruct many. And in in Daniel chapter 12, it talks about how they will shine like the brightness of the stars in the firmament, those with understanding at the end of the age. And so uh, I don't want to be found as one without understanding. I don't want to be found dull in my heart. Dear Lord, I don't want to be found asleep when he comes. I want to be one that has understanding. And see, we've got to be those that are, that are geared like Daniel was that will set ourselves before the Lord. We'll set our hearts to understand. That's the way Daniel lived. With fasting and prayer, daily setting himself before the Lord, searching the scriptures, setting his heart to understand what it was that God was doing in his day and hour. And the Lord sends the angel, and the angel unpacks uh, Jeremiah 25 for him, because Daniel's sitting there, and he's reading Jeremiah 25, and the angel unpacks Jeremiah 25 in a way that absolutely gives Daniel foresight all the way until the return of the Lord Jesus to the planet. That's how my heart wants to be. I want to be set to understand. I don't want to leave it to the TV personality. 
I don't want to leave it to the movie thing, you know, the book series. I, I, you know, I just, I want to find it out. I want to plumb, the, you know, the Lord gave all of us the opportunity here in the West to, to dig into this scripture and dig into this word. I want to stand before the word of God and allow the word of God to instruct my heart into what it is that God is doing. What's the agenda of the Lord at the end of the age? And many would think, well, you know, that, that's kind of hard to understand, you know, get into the end time stuff. There's so many different opinions. No, I tell you, God wrote the Bible for the majority of the people that are in the earth. And the majority of the people in the earth are uh, basically uneducated and have a very low literacy rate. The majority of the planet is in that state he didn't write it for scholars he wrote it for you and me and we can sit before this word and ask for the lord to give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation he will begin to unpack stuff and so if you've stayed away from the book of revelation or if you've taken chunks of the old testament scriptures and you said you know that's not really applicable today i just want to encourage you and challenge you and call you to a study of the prophetic scriptures with academic zeal in your heart yet with a devotional spirit a devotional spirit rooted in intimacy where you are alive in intimacy because I tell you, the intimacy message is the teeth for us to be able to chew the word as it relates to the end of the age. If we do not have the paradigm of the God that loves us, the God who is radically in love with his bride and will stop at nothing to see her uh, come to maturity and see her vindicated to the earth, if we don't have that paradigm, when we read the verses that, about the plan of the, of the Lord at the end of the age, it will absolutely offend our hearts. So we have to have intimacy rooting us, the revelation of the good God who is in in love with people. That has got to root our hearts so that we can stand unoffended before him in love. So with with intimacy, um, you know, rooted in our hearts and, and devotional spirits we have an academic zeal and we approach the prophetic scriptures with that with, with that lens asking God to grant revelation with fasting and prayer with fasting and prayer it has to be with fasting and prayer there is no biblical model for the scholar sort of finding himself up in the you know the the high tower you know and just sort of scholarly finding all the answers without fasting and prayer the model is daniel setting himself before the Lord daily with fasting and prayer and the Lord releases revelation that's how it goes and so this is important beloved this is important I uh I have and so I'm setting you up to tell you about a um an experience I had in prayer uh a few weeks ago and uh I've been kind of just chewing it for the last month and it's it's got me startled and I was here I think you're in the you're in the seat, so watch out. But I'm sitting here and um, during one of our intercession sets, and I just go into I just go into involuntary wailing. I mean, it's good, you know. The the worship set was good and everything was fine. I didn't feel anything special. And the next thing I know, bam, I'm wailing. I'm wailing and wailing. And um, the Lord, I begin to see a, a vision in my in in my uh, mind's eye. And I begin to see a, a, a picture of a city, and it's completely bombed out. It's completely bombed out. All the houses, all the, it's not even houses, all the building structures are completely blown away. All the windows are gone. There are no people. It looks like a ghost town. And everything is... Uh, it, it, it looks like it's, there's, it's been a war scene or something. And I start to get the phrase in my, in my uh, heart, until the cities are laid waste. 
until the cities are laid waste. And the Lord begins to say to me, he goes, I'm coming until the cities are laid waste. And I'm wailing and wailing and wailing. Okay, while that's going on, the singers, the prophetic singers, you guys get the picture why we call them prophetic singers, right? Because <laughs> they sing the word of the Lord all the time. They begin to, with the intercessor, pray and sing about the coming of the Lord in power and in vengeance. And so I'm having this encounter here. They don't know why I'm doing what I'm doing. And they go into this thing and ask for the, the arm of the Lord in power to be revealed on our city. And as they're asking for the arm of the Lord, I'm hearing it two ways. And here's how I'm hearing it. I'm hearing it in my, you know, one lens uh, with, you know, power of God being released upon the church until revival breaks out. And the the strong right hand of the Lord will break in with with signs and wonders and miracles. And many will be turned to the Lord. I'm hearing that on on one side. And at the very same uh, same time, I'm hearing the arm of the Lord will be released with judgment. He's coming. He's coming with power and might to, to set the captives free. He's coming to, to bring salvation, deliverance, and healing. And he's coming to bring judgment and retribution. I'm hearing both of them at the same time. And the, the tears I'm crying, the wailing, it only intensifies. And so uh, I typed down a few of the things that the Lord um, spoke to me in that moment. I believe that the Lord was, was impressing upon me. And I'm just going to read a little of it. And I'm going to talk about this issue of the day of the Lord. For we've heard that term a lot. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm, my holy mountains, Joel 2. For the day of the Lord is at hand. But do we even get what that is? The day of the Lord is at hand. And so here's uh, some of what I typed from that moment, it says this. This is, this is what I felt the Lord was impressing upon me. It says, you have little understanding of the severity of your need. You have little understanding of the grave circumstances in which you live. The life of mourning is not an option for you. I am coming until the cities are laid waste. You have no idea what is directly before you. I am coming until the cities are laid waste. And as I was hearing that the cities, until the cities are laid waste, I was realizing that it meant many cities in the earth. Um, there, I was actually seeing different scenes real quickly, and I was realizing many, many cities in the earth are actually targeted. They're actually targeted for the judgments of the Lord. They're, they're already in the scope, already in the sight of the Lord. Until the cities are laid waste, it kept going on and And I felt like the Lord said this. I felt like he said, most only believe in the feast that I have in store for my people. Yet I have ordered a sacrifice before there is a feast. There is a sacrifice that I have ordered. There is a sacrifice that my people must be aware of. Warn them. The day of the Lord is real. It is not a myth or a fairy tale. My people must know. Warn them. So, I want to take a few weeks and talk about this. Because I think we've gotten to be instructed. We've gotten to be alert in heart. I, um, 
I don't know what it exactly means for us in our city. I'm asking the Lord for mercy. I'm asking him to do what he does in mercy. But I know this, that the judgment of God is the mercy of God. If God will bring judgment and it will turn multitudes to him, it's absolutely the mercy of God. Because one judgment event is a pinprick compared to what's coming in the day of the Lord event. And, and I pray that God would release mercy upon us. Okay, so flip on back over to Isaiah 6. Before you think of me as a doom and gloom preacher and write me off, let's just consider what the verses say. Let's just look at what the verses say. Allow the Bible to stand over us and instruct us. Isaiah 6, Isaiah is having an encounter with the Lord in a, in a great way. He's actually uh, having an open encounter where he is in the very throne room of God. I love how the Lord mixes throne room encounters with end time revelation. He mixes both. And so Isaiah actually sees the, the seraphim and they're, they're circling the throne and they're, they're crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. It's powerful. And he, the Lord says, who shall go for us? And Isaiah signs up without even knowing where to go or what going for us means. You know, the Lord will woo you and tenderize you and bring you to this place of being susceptible and you'll say yes without even knowing what you're saying yes to. And that's what happens to Isaiah. Who shall go for us? Who shall we send? Isaiah goes, here I am. Send me, Lord. He goes, good, good. I've got a message for you to preach, Isaiah. He goes, say this. Tell this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. He goes, I want you to go and tell them they're going to hear and not get it. They're going to see, but they won't understand it. There's a message, Isaiah. Go preach that. There's power on that message. And Isaiah says, how long? How long? Let's look at verse 10 first. He says, make the heart of this people dull, their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and return and be healed. The Lord says, make them dull. Huh. Who's he talking about? The nation of Israel. What's he talking about? He's talking about Romans 11.25. Romans 11.25 declares this, that a partial hardening, a partial dullness has happened to the nation of Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, and then all Israel shall be saved. And there's a dullness over the eyes of Israel right now. Their ears can't hear, their eyes can't see. They rejected Jesus as Messiah And they have stayed dull until this day. Now what we're seeing actually right now in Israel and around the world is the dullness appears to be lifting for there's around 400,000 born again Jews in the earth right now. That's stunning, beloved. Perhaps the most even since the first century. But he says, make them dull until something. 
They will be dull. They won't turn to Christ. They won't turn to God until something. Until what? How long? How long shall they be dull? Until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant. The houses are without a man. The land is utterly desolate. Until the cities are laid waste. Well, what is the cities are laid waste? What is that? That is the finality of the coming of the Lord Jesus upon the earth. He's coming back, not as a baby, beloved. He's coming as a king. And all those that will stand to oppose the Lord Jesus, they will be on the wrong side of the most lopsided military campaign that has ever and will ever have been. There will be 100% casualty on one side and no one will be nicked on the other side. The cities will be laid waste. You go, well, brother, it seems like you're sort of, you know, that verse, that's one verse. I tell you, there are about 50 chapters that identify this reality. Let's just read a few. Let's look at Isaiah 2. Verse 12. The day of the Lord of hosts shall come upon everything proud and lofty, upon everything lifted up, and it shall be brought low. Upon all the cedars of Lebanon and, uh, that are high and lifted up, upon all the oaks of Bashan, upon all the high mountains, upon all the hills that are lifted up, upon every high tower, upon every fortified wall. The, verse 17, the loftiness of man shall be bowed down and the haughtiness of men shall be brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day, but the idols he shall utterly abolish. They shall go into the holes of the rocks and into the caves of the earth from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty when he arises to shake the earth mightily. In that day, a man will cast away his idols Verse 21, and they'll go into the clefts of the rock and into the crags of the rugged rocks from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty when he rises to shake the earth. Let's uh, look at Isaiah 13. Verse 6. Wail, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore all hands will be limp, every man's heart will melt, and they will be afraid. Pangs and sorrows will take hold of them. They will be in pain as a woman in childbirth. They will be amazed at one another. Their faces will be like flames. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel, with both wrath and fierce anger, to do what? Lay the land desolate. He will destroy its sinners from it. The stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be darkened in its going forth, and the moon will not cause its light to shine. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will halt the arrogance of the proud and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. I will make a mortal more rare than fine gold. Isaiah 63. Now, Isaiah 34. 
We don't really read these verses very much, do we? <clears throat> Just read this, this, this fearsome, fearful things. Verse 1, Come near, you nations, to hear and heed, you people. Let the earth hear and all that is in it, the world and all things that come forth from it. For the indignation of the Lord is against all nations. His fury against all their armies. He has utterly destroyed them. He has given them over to the slaughter. Also their slain shall be thrown out. Their stench shall rise from their corpses. And the mountains shall be melted with their blood. All the hosts of heaven shall be dissolved. And the heavens shall be rolled up like a scroll. All their hosts shall fall down as the leaf falls from the vine. And as a fruit falling from a fig tree. Verse 5. My sword shall be bathed in heaven. Indeed it shall come down on Edom. And on the people of my curse for judgment. Edom is modern day Jordan. And the Bible gives us real clarity that at the end of the age that the people of Edom in that area, in Ezekiel 37 and 38, it gives us a real, real picture of it. There will be a conglomeration of nations in that Muslim area that the Lord is, that he is going to come against them with judgment because of the way they, they treat his people. Verse 6, the sword of the Lord is filled with blood. It is made overflowing with fatness, with the blood of lambs and goats, the fat of, kidney, uh, fat of the kidneys of rams. For the Lord has a sacrifice in Basra, the capital of Edom. He has a sacrifice. Now that's the word the Lord gave me. He said, my people only know about the celebration, but they do not know that I have ordered a sacrifice. He has a sacrifice in Basra, a great slaughter in the land of Eden, Edom. Verse 8, it's the day of the Lord's vengeance, the year of recompense for the cause of Zion. And it just goes on. Let's look at Isaiah 63. I pray this is sober to your heart. Verse 1, who is this who comes from Edom? Isaiah is prophetically seeing the Lord Jesus on the planet after the sacrifice that he just said he has ordered in Edom. He goes, who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. What is Isaiah seeing? He's seeing the Lord Jesus traveling across the earth, coming from Edom in Basra, coming to Jerusalem to take ownership of the planet. That's what he's seeing. There's an earthly procession, beloved. On the day of the Lord, the Lord is not just going to come to the sky and we all turn into you know, fat babies floating on clouds. He's going to come to the sky, but then he's going to land on the planet. And the day of the Lord actually describes what happens when he lands on the planet. There are going to be nations that are gathering against the Lord himself. In Revelation 16, it says they will come and they will gather together to fight the lamb 
Well, guess where he has to be for them to try to fight him on the planet. We have no picture of this. I'm I'm just throwing things out right now just because I'm just trying to shock you a little bit. I'm going to give you some detail over the next week, some verses and things you can look at. But I want I want to I'm trying to shock you into reality, not trying to like shock factor, but trying to somebody said it like throw cold water on us. Who is this? This one glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. He goes, I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. And then the prophetic question comes Why is your apparel red? And your garments like one who treads in the wine presses. You know, one that treads in the wine presses, they're in there treading grapes and they're getting the, the grape juice all over them. Revelation 14, it describes Jesus as one who's going to tread the wine presses of the wrath of God. It says, Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the wine presses? Look at what he says in verse 3. He goes, I have trodden the winepress alone and from the peoples. No one was with me, for I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them, who? The peoples, in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments. And I have stained all my robes, for the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come. Beloved, we've got almost no grid for the Lord who is going to come and trample the nations. And the reason is because we are almost completely um, ignorant of what the scriptures describe are the events that are going to take place at the end of the age. And the reason why we're, we're satisfied to stay in ignorance is because we've, um, by and large, believed uh, a doctrine of eschatology that has us, quote-unquote, out of here before anything happens, and so then we just don't even get familiar with these verses. They, they, they're not even on our radar. Yet, I'm just reading you just a small little sampling. I've got, you know, pages and pages, hundreds of verses that are exactly the same thing, that describe the Lord coming on the planet. Uh, b- before the day that he takes ownership in Jerusalem, he comes upon the planet and trons the nations. And when, so when the Bible says, blow the trumpet... For the day of the Lord is at hand. It's talking to a people who have revelation of the activity of the day of the Lord. And we make the day of the Lord some celebration event. And I tell you, for the redeemed, it will be one of the most glorious days we can ever imagine. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we will be changed. What is that going to be like when our mortal puts on immortality immortality this frame of dust it's going to be transformed into a glorious body like his the glorified body it's going to be powerful and we're going to be able to dwell with him well that's that's the beauty of what happens to the redeemed But there will be many on the earth who have sided against the Lord. They have chosen wickedness and debauchery. And in that day, the Lord, who is mercy itself, 
will have no other, opportun- no other option for them, for they have, they have fully severed themselves for any reach for righteousness. The only option for them is retribution. And he is coming, and he has a sacrifice prepared. When they were trying to make Jesus king because they thought he was Messiah, the Jews understood those verses. They said, he is going to rally some armies and we are going to take over. This is it. He goes, you don't understand. They, they knew these verses. But they didn't understand he had to come as a lamb before he comes as a lion. And when, when you read the verses about the Lord will roar from Zion... He will roar against the nations. I'm telling you, that's not a revival meeting. No, really. That's the sacrifice he's ordered. That's the day of the Lord. He will roar from Zion. He will slay the nations. Isaiah 13 says, a mortal will be more rare than fine gold. So, I'm, I'm trying to get us this picture that there is a day of judgment coming. It's not just, you know, some fire appears and everything blows up. It is a real day, and it's going to be preceded by multiple events that the Bible identifies through the book of Revelation. There is a 21 uh, sequence uh, of events, 21 judgment events that lead up unto the final possession of Jesus in Jerusalem, where he takes Jerusalem as his possession, there are 21 specific, unique things that will happen over a three and a half year period of time. It's called the Great Tribulation. The Bible says it will be the worst time in human history. There will never have been, and there never will be another time like it. And prior to those 21 judgment events, their seals, their trumpets and the bowls, that's what those are, those 21 events, their seals, trumpets and bowls, prior to those, the Bible gives us a picture in Matthew 24 of something called the beginning of birth pangs. The beginning of birth pangs are seven different global conditions that take place in the earth that set up, they, they prepare the environment for the birthing of the kingdom of God in the earth. These things, beloved, they're directly in front of us. If we believe the return of the Lord Jesus is at hand, we've got to come clear on these realities and understand these things are directly in front of us. And so while we stay, uh, you know, we stay conditioned to hear the, tell me, brother, the blessing, tell me about the revival, tell me about the good thing, the Bible is trying to thunder to us the realities of the day in which we live, and they're not all the things that make you just sort of, you know, feel good and happy. But I tell you what they will do, they will equip your heart in the knowledge of God so that when judgment is raining down on the planet, you will know that one who is releasing those end-time judgments, for it's in his hand. It's not in the hand of the devil to release end-time judgments. The Lord himself will release the end-time judgments, and your heart will be equipped to know that one and stand unoffended in love before him in that day. But if we are blind to these realities, we have no revelation of the day of the Lord, we don't understand the, the judgment sequence of the book of Revelation, we don't understand the beginning of birth pangs and the setting of the context, if we do not understand those, and we only have an eschatology of blessing, 
a revival eschatology only of blessing. Now, don't get me wrong. I totally believe there's a global revival coming that's going to be far surpassing anything that we've ever seen in the earth. But if that's our only eschatology, we don't have any picture of the judgment events, we will be uh, uh, totally offended not knowing who this Jesus is who is going to come and trodden the nations and set up his kingdom. This is our Jesus, beloved. He's not happy one minute and mad the next. He's without contradiction. The Bible says the day of vengeance is in his heart. He's a God of justice. He wants to vindicate the ones he loves. He's coming. 2 Thessalonians 1. I'm just kind of throwing water on you tonight. I'll give you specifics a lot better you know, next time. We'll teach through a few things. 2 Thessalonians 1 says he's coming to vindicate for his bride. Because they've, uh, they've resisted God and they have treated his people improperly. He's coming for vindication and flaming fire. And so then, back to Joel 2. Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. Why? Because the day of the Lord is at hand, beloved. The day of the Lord is at hand, beloved. And so when we say we believe we're called to live in a Joel 2 reality, a people living in a Joel 2 reality, it is the, the repenting with fasting and weeping and mourning, but why would you repent with fasting and weeping and mourning? Because of what's written in Joel 2. The day of the Lord is coming. Let's just read through it. Let's just get a picture of it then. If we're, if we're going to be a Joel 2 people, what is it that would cause us to live with fasting, weeping, and mourning, turning to the Lord all the days of our lives? What is it that would cause us to live that way? The day the Lord is coming, it is at hand, verse 2. It is a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like the morning clouds spread over the mountain. What's going to happen? A people come, great and strong, the like of whom has never been, nor will there ever be any such after them, even for many successive generations. Somebody reads that and they go, hallelujah, he's talking about a great revival army. No, that's not what it's talking about. Here's what it's talking about. A fire devours before them and a flame burns behind them. And the land is like the Garden of Eden before them and behind them a desolate wilderness. Surely nothing shall escape them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses and like the swift steeds so they run with the noise of chariots. Over mountaintops they leap like the noise of a flaming fire that devours the stubble like a strong people set in battle array. Before them the people writhe in pain. All faces are drained of color. They run like mighty men. They climb the wall like men of war. Everyone marches in formation. They do not break ranks. They do not push one another. Everyone marches in his own column. Though they lunge between the weapons, they are not cut down. They run to and fro in the city. They run on the wall. They climb into the houses. They enter windows like a thief. The Bible says the day of the Lord is coming like a thief in the night. Verse 10, the earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and moon grow dark, and the stars diminish their brightness. The Lord gives voice before his army. 
for his camp is very great. For strong is the one who executes his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? I tell you, the final full fulfillment of Joel chapter 2 is Jesus trotting the nations before his army. Angelic army coming on the land, beloved. And the nations being slain before him. Fire devouring and leaving the land stubble and desolate. And therefore, in verse 12, so now we get verse 12 in context. Now, therefore, because of what I just said, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. And here it is. This is the way God is. Who knows if he will relent and turn And leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders. That's the way we're living. Why? Because we believe that the day of the Lord is at hand. And we believe this, that the Lord is so kind. He loves to relent from doing harm. He loves to to leave a blessing instead. He loves that when a people will turn to him with repentance, with fasting and weeping and mourning, the who knows of God, God will release pockets of mercy. And we believe that strongly, that God wants to release places of mercy in the midst of judgment. When judgment is pounding the planet, the Lord wants to release areas of of influence from the kingdom of heaven, mercy places. The who knows of God. I tell you, the who knows if he will relent. That will never happen unless a people live turned and repenting with fasting and weeping and mourning. It'll never happen unless a people live with their hearts alert and awakened to the time in which we live. I think about the church in China. And, uh, you know, many have read the book, The Heavenly Man and you know, their Bible schools, they train the people to be martyred. That's how they train them. They train them how to jump out of two and three story windows without breaking their ankles so that they can be equipped to run from those that want to arrest and kill them. That's like, their, that's their Bible training school. And that just seems like, you know, in, in, with, our, with our mentality, you seems like, well, brother, that's just a little extreme, don't you think? Matthew 24, and this is where we're going to get into next week. And I and didn't have to turn over there. I'm not going to read any of it. But Matthew 24, we're going to talk about the beginning of birth pangs. What sets the stage prior to the, ju- the judgment events in the book of Revelation and, and the day of the Lord activity on the earth. What sets the stage? Well, Matthew 24 gives us all of that. It's the beginning of birth pangs. But Matthew 24 says this, that Jesus said, uh, because of me, you'll be hated by all nations. And I want to say this. I believe the church in China has got it, got it right right now. Of course, they're living in persecution, so it's easy for them to, with clarity to see we've got to be equipped for persecution. 
But their goal right now, the underground church in China, their goal right now is to raise up thousands of missionaries who will go into the Muslim bloc nations, to go into all the stands, all the stand nations, and go and preach the gospel. And they're training all those guys to be martyrs. They want to sow righteous blood in the land uh, 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 of Islam for unless a grain of wheat goes in the ground and dies, it will bear no fruit. But if it goes in the ground and dies, it will bear a harvest. And they want to go there and die for the name of the man Christ Jesus so their blood can be shed in that land and God will release mercy in the gospel. When I think about those things and I think about how they're preparing for the end of the age, their whole goal is to, to fulfill the Great Commission. Like really fulfill it. To live it and fulfill it. That's their whole goal in life. They really believe it. They're, they want to see the Lord return in their lifetime. And they're doing something about it. When I think about that version of Christianity, and I think about our version, and we just, you know, just give me the rapture, brother. I just go, God, please, please have mercy on us. We've, we've, we've got to come awake. We've got to come awake, beloved. We've got to get, and I, look, I don't have to string together the news headlines. I don't have to tell you about the latest attack in, in Israel right now to try to make some cool prophetic point. All I have to do is read the verses. It's the scariest stuff you'll ever read. Isaiah 63, where the blood of the nations is on the man Christ Jesus. His garments are whelmed with blood. That's enough. I don't have to try to like, you know, twist it around with the latest news headline to make you feel a little bit, you know, worried about what's going to happen tomorrow. No, this, beloved, this is on our doorstep. This is on our doorstep. And I believe that we're living in the time the Bible identifies as the beginning of birth pangs. And I'll show you next week. Monica, you can come. I'll show you next week. These trends that Jesus identifies in Matthew 24, I'll show you how they are actually happening in the earth. I mean, they're, they're off the scale. And he gave them to us so that we could look at the events of the earth and see what's going on and see the trends and say, you know what? This is the time. He actually gives us the trends so we can identify them. And we're clearly living in that time. But we've got to live with our hearts alive and instructed and urgent in this. We've got to understand what he means about the day of the Lord is near. There have been multiple days of the Lord, but there is a final one coming. 2 Thessalonians 2 identifies it. 2 Thessalonians 2, it says that the day of the Lord is the day when Christ returns. And when he returns, I tell you, he is coming for vindication. He's coming to reward his bride, and he is coming to slay the nations. This, is, this has got to get in our minds, beloved, or else we will live dull and unaware. I don't want to be dull and unaware. Let's just stand.